And so our theme is caring matters. It does matter, caring for yourself and caring for other people. And there are matters about caring that need to be dealt with as well. For the Marin Council of Chambers, I'm Stephanie Plant. This is We Are One Marin. Today, Kalina and I sit down with Terry Avalar. She appealed her way into a job in a hospital at age 11 and has since made a career out of senior care management. Terry's experience growing up in a large Hispanic family contributes to how she runs Aging Solutions. The staff interacts like a family as they offer guidance to other families in transition. Join us for some advice on planning for tomorrow as we learn how Marin works. Today on We Are One Marin, we are happy to welcome Terry Abelar from Aging Solutions, and we are in Terry's beautiful downtown San Rafael office. Welcome. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Delighted to have you. Thank you. And I'm very, very interested to talk about your business, uh, Aging Solutions. Maybe I'll let you tell us a little bit about what you do and how you came to do it. Okay. Well, happy to, to give you a little history. We're hitting our 25th year this year. Congratulations. We're the longest standing employee-based care management company in the state of California. And we are care coordinators, advisors, and advocates. Those are the simple terms I like to use. Technically, we're geriatric care managers. Hmm. But we have a a physician assistant and two registered nurses on staff. We don't do any treatment at all. We use their experience and expertise to set up good plans for our families. You said employee-based. Can you tell me what that means? Sure. So in California, most people who are doing care management are usually individuals, right? Mm. And if they have more than one person in their company, they're all independent contractors. And so it's it's a very different setup. With Aging Solutions, we collaborate and our whole team manages each client and our whole team has workers comp and they are employees. Mm, I see. And so for me, from an ethical standpoint, mm-hmm. that's very, very important. And so we have a whole team of employed people that we invest in and we're committed to. One of the other things that's different from us is we do not accept referral fees or kickbacks. Mm. And many people in this world these days, you know, if we refer to, let's say, somebody moves to a senior community, we could be entitled to maybe a $5,000 commission just for making the referral if they move in. From the senior community? From the senior community. In some cases, home care agencies will pay a care manager, a portion of whatever they're billing a client. Mm-hmm. So there's these commissions and things. We It's it's taboo for us, mm-hmm. ethically. But that is one of the differences. There are a lot of people in the world. It's just a different orientation. Mm-hmm. It's not a crime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we try to stick to the, you know, as, be as clean as possible. If we refer a family to a community, it's because we believe that's a good match, right? Or maybe there's two of them. And we want them to make their choices from there. But, you know, we don't gain any any sort of monetary benefit as a result. And then the employees that you have range from, it sounds like everything from specialists to in-home care providers? Uh, no, we don't do any in-home care at all. Oh, no. So okay. we're strictly the consultant and manager. We oversee a, a person's life, lifestyle, I might say. If they need caregiving, mm-hmm. we refer them only to employee-based, insured, licensed agencies so that they have the benefit of knowing that the agency has workers' comp covered because if a caregiver's injured on the job, all they can do is go after the, the family that they're caring for. Mm. They don't have a choice. It's not their fault. Mm -hmm. So a a properly licensed and insured agency takes care of all that liability. Mm -hmm. And the other part of that is the home care agencies are responsible if somebody calls in sick or something like that to make sure that you're covered. And that's a very important thing, especially with the pandemic. So that all shifts are covered. Right. Right. And 
we do a 30-minute complimentary consultation with me for anybody. It's our community service. They can come to us. We may not be the answer, but we're going to connect them to what they need. And so that's just part of what we do as our, you know, education in the community. That's a wonderful service to provide. That is a gift. And I know that sometimes when it comes to transitioning in a family to a point where the senior person needs care, sometimes people haven't planned ahead, right? And and Usually they don't plan ahead. Yeah, <laughs> mostly they don't plan ahead. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure you've seen a lot. Yeah, and it's not easy. You know, you're dealing with somebody not doing well, and then you have the family dynamics and all the interaction and different things that happen as human beings cope with sadness. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just not easy. So we try to come in with a breath of fresh air and, hey, you guys, we'll help you. We'll support you. We were reading through some of your material, too, and a reference it references a, a Adult children. Which I had no idea what meant. Kalina was like, is there supposed to be a comma here? Adult adult, children children and families? And I said, no, that means, you know, somebody in the middle, an adult child of uh, a senior person. Right. Somebody who's not a minor. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. They are an adult, but they're also a child because they're in a position to be the child of somebody and they have to then start worrying about that somebody. That's when the caregiving shifts. Right. And so our theme is caring matters. It does matter. Caring for yourself and caring for other people. And there are matters about caring that need to be dealt with as well. Can you give me some examples? I'll give you something that I try to talk to people about often. If somebody's in a hospital, they had a broken hip or a procedure or something like that, and they need physical therapy, typically the system sends somebody right to a nursing home right? Mm. But it doesn't have to be that way. That person can go home and they can have the same physical therapy and those services under Medicare at home. They're going to do better psychologically if they're at home. But the system doesn't look at it that way. So we're kind of a disruptor. So that's another way to look at how caring matters and you can do it in different ways. Well, I'm sure you've seen a number of positive examples in doing it a slightly different way that have been successful. Mm -hmm. Sure. And for instance, if somebody has a relative going from hospital to the nursing home because their spouse is older and they're worn out, they're not able to manage it at home. That's perfectly appropriate and fine. But we want people to understand what their options are as well. I think while it's easy to perhaps be in denial sometimes about the aging of our relatives or ourselves, (laughs) you might have some advice for people about how to begin these conversations too. I can tell you that we all as human beings have a certain level of denial and it's there there are some good levels, you know, that keep us a little more sane by not overthinking or not jumping in and getting too overwhelmed about everything. So if you can take a little step at a time and think about, okay, here's my situation, what are the options? And take a look at those options and then figure out what fits best for you and your family. The denial factor is just part of us being human beings. Honestly, in this day and age, one of the most difficult things is for people to afford the caregiving expenses. Yes. It's really tough. I mean, you're talking about six to $800 a day for 24-hour care now through an mm. agency. Mm. It's very expensive, you know, so we want to help people find another option if it's at all possible. It sounds like there are a number of um, services that you all can provide that are extremely valuable. I want to go back to you just a little bit. So you attended college and then ended up leaving before you finished. Right. And why, why was that, if I may ask? Um, I was bored. Oh, 
Okay. I mean, I, That's a you know. good, honest answer. Yeah, I was bored. One of the things that I'd done since I was 16 is I had worked in professional companies. I had was a very good typist back then, mm-hmm. so I could get a job anywhere, right? But I had a variety of exposures to all kinds of different companies, and so that was very stimulating for me. I was always learning mm-hmm. and fast, and I really enjoyed that. The college route was, to me, just pretty boring, and, and so I was looking for more stimulation. I think that's a great message. Because traditional schooling, while important, certainly isn't for everyone. And I think sometimes it's good to know that school does end and life goes on and there are a lot of paths to a career. And you certainly have taken, I think, what sounds like some things you're passionate about and made them a career. I read that you had a job before you were even old enough for volunteer as a candy striper. Oh, right. Yeah. So there's a story behind I still have my candy striper card. So my mother felt that I was quite young and naive at 11 and that I needed a little more exposure to the world. And we lived down Aren't the you s- young at 11, though? I mean, come <laughs> yeah. on. Right. It's not fair. But she felt I, I lived a very sheltered life, right? Mm. Because my Hispanic father made sure I lived a very sheltered okay. life. <laughs> so she said, well, maybe you can do some volunteer work. So I went to the Red Cross and I applied and they said, no, you can't do this because you're not 12. Uh And so I wrote a letter of appeal and I won. And so they gave me my, uh, I had to give them the rationale, and then they they let me be a Red Cross certified candy striper. And so then I went and worked in a nursing home. And I volunteered my time on Saturdays, and I absolutely loved it. Tenacity at age 11. Yeah. And an affinity for older people. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've had beautiful friendships through your career. I wish more people could spend more time with older people. It's such a privilege to hear about their history and their life and their accomplishments and their failures and how they got back up, you know, and didn't give up. To hear that in real life is very different from watching a movie, mm-hmm. you know, and it's very inspiring. Well, and it sounds like the multi-generational family experience is also in your background. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you told me a little bit about your father and your grandfather. So my grandfather, Anthony, was the oldest of 14 people. My dad was one of five. That's like, 14 people is like a city, a small city. I know, I know. I mean, can you imagine our holidays, you know? Well, I can imagine it was fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was telling you about my great aunt Connie, who passed away last year, 108 and a half. My other two aunts were 99 and 97. Great aunts. So basically you started this business so there'd be somebody to take care of you when you live to 108 (laughs) because it's in your genes. Right. Yeah. So what kinds of lessons were imparted in a large multi-generational family like that? It sounds like you were all nearby, too. You know, it's really interesting because my husband is an only child of two only children. Hmm. It took me a while to figure out when we had get-togethers at the house, he would be overwhelmed because of the number of people. And it was just normal for us. Sure. You know, because... And a little get-together is maybe 25, 30 people, right? And it goes on for hours. Yeah, that's just right? your immediate family, yeah, right? Yeah, And then, you know, it takes you an hour to say goodbye because right. you got to give everybody a hug and a kiss and, and that kind of thing. So that multi-generational thing just was very normal and natural to us. I was just telling Stephanie the same experience in Hawaii. My dad is Native Hawaiian, and there's not that same pressure to leave the house. It's an expectation that you actually stay. Eventually, they get married, and their kids stay in their parents' house, who are in their grandparents' house and everyone is together. It's very common. And here it's not necessarily the same cultural experience, I would say. Right. And it's we had Sunday dinners, yeah. you know, and so it's the rice and the beans.
beans and you walk in the house and smell the tortillas and <laughs> all of that stuff. You know, it was just that was our norm. Yeah, and absolutely. We very fortunate. But when you're in it, it just feels normal. And it's not until you step out of that world for a while somewhere, you have an opportunity to realize, wow, I'm really lucky because a lot of people don't. Would you say that contributes to your business model at Aging Solutions and your view of family and support? Absolutely. And the thing about what we do here is we are also like a family, and any of our employees will tell you that. We kind of have a certain belief system here for taking care of people, and that's our ultimate goal. What brought you from Southern California to Marin County? Oh, well, my husband was offered a position up in Northern California uh, with the Public Policy Institute, and so we commuted for two years. Wow. Wow. And mostly I commuted because I love it up here. Uh, my mom was actually born in Marin County and raised here. She went to Mount Tam. She and my father met at the Marin Arts Center during a dance. He was in, uh, he was military police. He used to guard Mount Tam. Oh. So they met at a dance. I always say they got married when she was 17 and it wasn't because she was pregnant. They were just madly in love. She was in high school when they got married. Wow. Yeah. What a slice of Marin history. Right. Though. So I, I spent most of my life coming up here. So, of course, when my husband was moving up here, I wanted to be up here as much as possible. And how have you found Marin County as a place to be a business owner? You know, I've participated a little bit in Chamber, the BID. I think we're welcomed in the county as small business. Our line of work is kind of an unknown for most people anyway, so we're kind of tucked away here. But I think as a rule, it's been a very good experience with business owners and, and others. I just wish I had more time to interact with people. Yes, I mean, it's hard. It would be nice if there was two of you. Right, 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 right. <laughs> that one lady who spends a few half hours a week on new clients, mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. and answering questions, and then the one who can get out and go to mixers and engage right, and, and right. build and, business. Yeah, and with the pandemic, we have, we're have we not doing anything social for our mm-hmm, business. Mm-hmm. We have a small bubble. Everybody has an agreement to limit their exposure. You know, last week was the first time in over two years that I headed up the Marin Section on Aging. It's mm-hmm. a monthly networking group. It's the first time we met in person in two year, over two years. And that was like a big nerve-wracking, okay, how's it going to go? But it was fine. Right. It was great. It worked out really well. Well, and you are certainly serving a population of people for whom there are comorbidities and, and risk factors that are significant. Right, and we do not want to be responsible for having transmitted anything. No. Right. So that's why we're very careful. I'm sure. Also, you and I talked about this briefly uh, before we got started today because we are three women sitting around the table here today. Have you faced obstacles? obstacles professionally because you're a woman? Most of my life, yeah. And this was an interesting dilemma that I was in years and years ago. I had some employees who were Hispanic males, and I was their supervisor. Mm. They did not like that at all. Because in their culture, our culture, men are predominant. But to have the tables turned like that Uh. was very, very difficult and very awkward. Never occurred to me. (laughs) Never occurred to me. And I remember calling my dad and saying, okay, well, you're kind of one of those guys, or you used to be. (laughs) What am I supposed to do? (laughs) He was helpful, and he said, you're not going to change them. Mm. So you have to figure it out. So that that was an early lesson. That was like 30 years ago. Mm. Um, I just think that 
for women, we need to stick together. I feel like collaboration is uh, something that women are good at. Yes. And I don't mean to disparage men in any way, but it, I think it's a trait that we share as women almost across the board. Uh, and it's valuable. Yeah, I think we're naturally inclined to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the maternal part of us. Well, and the idea that you're running a business like a family and then that your employment family is then reaching into people's families Mm -hmm. and helping them collaborate, it's exponential, that reach. Right. So we have a a program called The Care Method, Collaborate, Assess, Review, and Enrich. Hmm. It's a special program for folks that have dementia or Alzheimer's. And what we try to do is take a look at their situation. It's oftentimes somebody's behavior is inappropriate, whether it be at home or in a community, and people in a community are getting evicted. Families are like, they can't come home. We don't know what to do. They're literally desperate. And so we collaborate, we assess the situation, we review what's going on, ultimately to enrich their life. And in usually four to six weeks, we can stabilize them. Typically, they're accepted to stay where they are, or they can go to another place that they wouldn't have been accepted to before. And so that collaboration is the key. We function in our office because we collaborate so closely. I know we're talking about elder care, but I find myself writing all this stuff down, and I'm like, can this work on my teenagers too? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Marin County, I know, has a population that is leaning towards what over 60 over 65 marin has a higher median age than most counties in the state and has for many years Mm -hmm. so your median age maybe it was 84 before now it's going up because people are living longer but the numbers are astronomical what they're predicting for the future so you know it's been important to me for 35 years to deal with it but people are starting to come around and realize in their own world in their own lives it's a lot And many people have parents who have been divorced, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say you have a husband and wife and both parents have been divorced. How many people are they going to have to take care of, right? If both remarry, all of a sudden you've doubled your responsibility potentially. Right. So Mm -hmm. that's like eight people potentially. Possibly, yes. So that's a lot. And so I know we try not to think about it too much because otherwise, you know, it can be overwhelming. But the reality is there, we all need to try to prepare as best we can to take care of our elders and or ourselves. And, you know, thinking ahead is the best way to go about it, but not everybody does. And so when you say the future and the predictions, what you're referring to is the average age, the lifespan. Is The is... lifespan and the, and the volume, the numbers of people who are going to still be alive at age 85 or 90, when 20 years ago, that was a different number. So you're going to have a, a large population in that older age bracket. Some of whom perhaps have not planned adequately for living that long financially or in their how they're housed. All of those things, I think, are going to kind of come together. <laughs> or fall apart. Or, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, no. The re- so let me give you an example. You know, we have, let's say, some clients that spouse was in the hospital. Then the nursing home is saying, we can't take that person. So, okay, I'm going to bring my spouse home. And there are three floors in mm-hmm. their home. And this person should use a walker but does not. And is a very high fall 
risk. And the bathroom is on one floor, the bedroom's on another. I mean, this happens all the time. That's a tough situation, but there could be ways that we could make that safer for them, right? And that's ultimately what you want to do. But there's so many people out there that don't know that. And so, again, you have suffering, somebody falling unnecessarily, going back to the hospital unnecessarily, where some of those things can be easily prevented. And so planning ahead or just having a knowledge base, you know, getting a little education mm-hmm. about what you can do and to be proactive as opposed to having things fall apart. Or be reactive. Yeah, reactive, yeah. Challenging times. Yeah, they're hard because it, it just signals that there's changes. Well, we're, we're lucky to have you here in San Rafael. Oh, well, thanks. We're happy to be here. Well, Aging yeah. Solutions is right here in downtown San Rafael at 1004th Street. And you can find Terry and her family, her mm-hmm. work family here at agingsolutions.com. And again, thank you so much for being with oh, us today. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. We'll see you again. Okay. Thank right. you. If you want to join the conversation, reach us at weareonemarin.com. The Marin Community Foundation generously sponsors this podcast. Our theme music is performed by a student at Enriching Lives Through Music. Elm is in San Rafael's Canal neighborhood. Finally, a reminder to support diverse local businesses and shop Marin.